cash, every movie costs $2,184. Hello and welcome everyone to Backtracks Theme Music. My name is Corey Morissette. Joining me as always, the magic man to my El Diablo, John Mariano. How you doing, John? If you ain't first, you last. Damn, Skippy. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. I must have been high when I said that. Oh, man. Uh, we are talking about one of the all-time great comedies tonight. Um, Absolutely. Is, Christopher Nolan's favorite movie, or one of. He loves Step Brothers and he loves Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Th- this to me is the spiritual sequel to Days of Thunder. <laughs> it does share an actor. Uh, do you remember which actor was in both films? Oh, it's not John C. Riley, is it? It is. He plays part of uh, uh, Cole Trickle's pit crew in Days of Thunder. That's what I thought. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, it's got to be John C. Riley, but it can't, can't be. Yeah, no, the timing's right on that. It's John C. Riley. Yeah, yep, 100%. There, that's another movie we got to do, John. Days of Thunder. They had some songs on that soundtrack, eh? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll be covering lots of sports movies. I know people will argue about people racing cars not being a sport. Days of Thunder covers that these guys are actually athletes driving these cars. Um, so yeah, we, we will we will a hundred percent be doing that. <laughs> but before we get to that one, we we got to get through Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Barbie, uh, starring Will Ferrell uh, and uh, John C. Riley, uh, written and directed by Adam McKay. And uh, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay uh, had a great string of uh, hits there. They had Anchorman, uh, they had uh, Step Brothers, uh, which we've covered on this show. Uh, but they had a little falling out uh, not that long ago, John, and then they're not working together anymore. And Makes me kind of sad because I I want more original comedies in the vein of Ricky Bobby. Well, do you know why they had a falling out? Did you hear that story? Didn't it have to do with the uh, Winning Time uh, series? Yeah. So, so, so they're doing the Winning Time series, and Adam McKay didn't ask Will Ferrell. um, I don't know if he didn't offer the role or didn't offer the audition or what the deal was uh, to to play. John C. Riley's character. John C. Riley was cast as him, um, the 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 owner of the Lakers. It would have been a much different show, and John C. Riley is the right casting. I get what Will Ferrell is coming from with them being a a partnership, um, and feeling betrayed. I don't know if I agree with the betrayed part as much. I think, uh, you know, I think I think some more leeway and understanding should have been there. But again, I don't know them personally and what was expected of that relationship. But the, you know, it's 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 really sad because. As far as collaborators go, they're among two of the best. And absolutely classic films. Uh, and another amazing cast, we mentioned John C. Riley. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen uh, is in this film as Jean Girard, uh, the, the French rival uh, of Ricky Bobby. And he is just fantastic. Well, and you also have Leslie Bibb and Amy freaking Adams, which is how she should always be introduced when she's and in she's in like three scenes like she's barely in it they got amy adams to do like three four scenes and, and, and god bless gary cole right yes <laughs> national national tre- treasure um J- jane lynch is in this movie um 
Molly Shannon shows up, Michael Clark Duncan. Michael Clark uh, Duncan, let's talk about him, uh, unfortunately, no longer with us. Man, is he hilarious in this film. Like, uh, you're used to Michael uh, Clark Duncan from, like, Armageddon and in the Green Mile. Uh, here he was, he gets to show off his comedic chops. And when he's yelling at Ricky Bobby, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby, I lose <laughs> it every time. It's so good. And, and watching him, like, seeing him do comedy and seeing him have that wheelhouse, it's so refreshing because he usually plays such a heavy role you're used to him being very dramatic, and he's a, he's a phenomenal actor when he does it, and a very underrated kingpin in, in, in a often forgotten Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Um, but you know, absolutely carried the weight of that role when he played it. Um, but he, here we have him doing comedy. Um, he's there's such a good cast here. Rob, Rob Riggle shows up. D David Kechner shows up. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at the uh, the cast. Jack McBrayer's in this. Andy Richter, like, there's just so many people that show up. Yeah, even some racers too, like Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, he yeah. he's a he's a Ricky Bobby fan. I think he gets an autograph. Uh, Elvis Costello and Moss Def uh, show up at a like a tea party. <laughs> and, and 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 there is one piece of credit I want to make sure we give, and he's not. A face actor, so you wouldn't recognize him being in this movie. But as the voice of the cougar, and the cougar has a great part in this movie. <laughs> but as the voice of the cougar, the incomparable Frank Welker. That's right, voice of Megatron, uh, amongst others. Correct. Amongst other, he was so many. You go back and you watch like those old Hanna Barbera cartoons. He's all over them. Um, I, I, he also did a couple of voices, I think, on GI Joe. Like all of those '80s cartoons, and it, like still doing, he he was still doing voices, you know, up until at least like five, five, ten years ago. I'm not sure if he's still, you know, I'm not even sure if he's still with us or not. I don't want to talk out of turn here. So, it, um, but one of the all-time great voice actors, and I want to make sure we we elevate that as as we're name dropping everybody. And Frank Welker is still with us, so. Thank God. <laughs> All right, John, before we get into our song choice for the week, uh, maybe just give us a brief uh, plot synopsis of Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. So Ricky, Ricky Bobby is a race driver, and he's only good at one thing in the world, and that's going fast. Um, he's played by Will Ferrell, and the plot is about him going fast, going too fast, um, crashing, recovering, and fighting his way back. It's also about friendship. It's his friendship Cal. And they are known as Shake. Yeah, Bake. Shake and Bake. Shake and Bake, baby. That um, just happened. <laughs> we, like, I don't know how you talk about the plot but there's not a ton of plot to this movie it's a <laughs> fairly simple story with a series of gags including will ferrell getting set on fire which is one of the funniest bits in the movie it's equivalent of uh chris folly getting covered in bees like 10 years earlier except in this case the fire was non-existent and it was yes. just will ferrell in his tidy whities and his helmet running around the track yelling uh, help me, uh, help me, God. Help me, Jewish God. Help me, Allah. Help me, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, use your witchcraft on me to get the fire off me. 
I do want to point out that the bees weren't real either, Corey. Right, right. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen that movie. No, I, I, I know. I just want to, in case, in case anybody wants to, wants to exile us or whatever they do nowadays, I, 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 I want to be clear. There are no bees. There is no fire. That's right. <laughs> And, and, and please don't excess uh, either for that matter. But uh, also in the film, we have uh, Ricky Bobby having to deal with his uh, delinquent father, played by Gary Cole, uh, who, who uh, instilled in him the love of going fast. And if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movie scenes, uh, Ricky Bobby would leave two tickets for his dad at every single race through his entire career. And in the last race of the film, his dad shows up, says, I believe you got two tickets for him. And he said, sir, these tickets have been waiting here for you for a very long time. And he takes those tickets and he slaps them on the on the counter, turns around and goes, who needs two? I got two. 60 bucks a pop. <laughs> He's such a shit in this movie. <laughs> and, and and I love that they right 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 through the end of the movie, like, you know, there's no redeeming qualities of the of the father. And it's so perfect. Yep, you know, even at the end, they're gonna go to get kicked out of an Applebee's. But uh, there was one little thing uh, when he was uh, trying to help Ricky go fast again. He told him that he, uh, you know, uh, taped some cocaine underneath the car and called the cops and he better get a move on. But it wasn't actually cocaine. It was uh, Lucky Charms. And then uh, on a note on the bag of Lucky Charms, he said, uh, don't snort this. So he, he was a little bit considerate. Well, yeah, he was, was, was a little bit parental, sort of. And do you want to fill the folk, the good folks? We're going to get into the band and the song in a minute, and there's going to be a lot to cover there too. Mm -hmm. um, but before we do, do you want to cover the cougar? Sure. So uh, Ricky Bobby, after his horrific accident, um, had a lot of uh, health issues, most of them uh, psychosomatic. Uh, he believed he was paralyzed for a bit uh, until he shoved a knife uh, in his leg, uh, and then he realized he wasn't. But he had a he had issues going fast again. So uh, his dad uh, came and uh, to help him uh, go fast again. And he said, because you're, you're, you're driving, you know, with the fear. You got, you got to get used to the fear. So you, you got to drive the live cougar in the car. And he actually, uh, it, it was such a great scene because you see the cougar head pop out in the growl by Frank Welker. And Ricky Bobby goes, there's a cougar in the car. And Reese Bobby's like, I know I put it there. Fuck, like, get in the car and drive, drive with the fear. And eventually he does, and he tames the fear. And then there's great shots of him. Uh, just cruising around uh, with, with, with a cougar. Uh, what did he name the cougar? Oh, do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. And you, you've seen this uh, sooner than me. <laughs> oh, I just watched this two days ago, and I don't remember the name of the cougar. Damn, that's going to bother me. But uh, the And the cougar wrecked his favorite uh, Crystal Gale shirt, which I felt really bad about. But Karen. The cougar's name was Karen. <laughs> And okay, so while, while you're on this and you're doing the movie trivia, what are Bobby's children's names? Oh, this is easy. He has uh, two sons, Walker and Texas Ranger. <laughs> I love I love that bit too. Me too. And uh, had we had girls, we would have named them Doctor Quinn and Medicine Woman. <laughs> and and that said, it like one of the most extravagant, cheap dinner tables you you'll see in movie <laughs> history. It's like we had every Domino's. KFC Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like everybody who's endorsing Ricky Bobby as, as a chair at the table, or at least, or, or at least a plate on it. Yeah, and then every grace he has to mention Powerade. 
uh, contractually obligated at every grace to mention uh, the wonders of Powerade. Such a great scene. I, I, I did his grace actually that night. So all right, children, borrow heads. Let's, let, let's say grace. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, uh, in your crib with your golden diapers, learn about shapes and colors. He likes the G, the baby version better. <laughs> well, and then John C. Riley had that great run where he was just like, I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says I want to be formal, but I know how to party. And and I, I think that this movie is really, I know it's built on the shoulders and, and the chemistry of John C. Riley and Will Ferrell, but I think what elevates it is the presence of Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh my and, goodness, and, yes. And uh, the character he creates here with, with, with uh, what's his name, Jean Girard. Yep. And Jean Girard be, being um, a world famous race car driver in his own right, got, comes to the United States and insults everything about Ricky Bobby and what Ricky Bobby stands for, including including being like an out homosexual man, um, which 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 they very much lean into. And in such great ways of like empowering and owning that character and <laughs> for comedic effect, but also like he's a, he's, a, I would argue a very strong character on his own, even without being comedic. I love that. Uh, he shows up at, at the honky tonk bar with his uh, husband, Gregory, uh, the German shepherd trainer uh, played by yes. Andy Richter and, and all the rednecks just didn't know what, what, what to make of all the gay. Like, I think Ricky Bobby even passed out. Just I'm getting dizzy from all the gay, yeah. like, like, like not in a homophobic way. Just, there's just so much gay. We don't really get that here in the deep South so much. Yeah. It, it was a really great way to do a commentary on it. And it was, it was nice to see. And it's weird for me to say this because it's such an over the top character. But it was nice to see a very restrained Sasha Baron Cohen, where it was like everything he did was really within that character and not just to push the limits of something. Yep. Yep. I agree. And the uh, final member of the cast, I just want to call it real quick Adam McKay, the film's writer and director, uh, played uh, Terry Chaveau and uh, a driver at the beginning of the film that was on uh, Ricky Bobby's driving team, uh, who just. I guess got sick of driving, got out to take a leak, uh, ended up getting like a hot dog and a hamburger. And then that gave Ricky his opportunity to, uh, to hop in the car and to go fast and to become a race car driver. But uh, I always love it when a, uh, a director makes a cameo, not a part like M night Shyamalan usually does or Quentin Tarantino, but just, just a little cameo. And, you know, uh, Adam McKay cameoing uh, as that driver, I thought was really nice. Yes. Yes. But, you know what uh, else is nice, John? Sorry. Go ahead. No, what else is nice? You're doing a nice transition. I don't want to interrupt it. You know what uh, is nice is uh, is is the Motley Crew. Uh, they're they're just a a nice bunch of a young young lads uh, uh, from from California, uh, and and they play the rock and rolls. <laughs> I mean, we're not gonna talk about it tonight, but do you know the dirt on them? <laughs> I've seen the dirt, and yes, there, 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 there is some dirt. How much of that is true is still up for debate. Uh, there's actually well, a moment in Nick in Nikki Six's life that inspired the song we're talking about that may or may not be true. If you listen to Stephen Adler of uh, Guns and Roses fame, yeah, I, I, I can't wait to get into this. I mean, th this is this is a band that very famously, and, and this story has been corroborated, so we can at least say that this happened, and it's in the dirt. Witnessed Ozzy Osbourne snorting ants poolside. Yes. <laughs> that I believe 100%. But uh, there is a moment in the dirt 
uh, and in Nikki Six's multiple biographies where uh, his heart stops, he was critically dead, and they had to jam adrenaline into his heart uh, to kickstart it, if you will, and to get a beating again. Uh, Steven Adler uh, disputes this, saying he was the one who actually revived Nikki Six uh, after his overdose. Uh, Nikki says uh, it was the paramedics and, and a kickstart to the heart uh, of adrenaline, and that uh, inspired this song from Dr. Feelgood, uh, arguably Motley Crue's best album, released 1989. I don't know, were you a big, uh, big crew head there, John? I own this cassette. I was not a huge... Motley Crue head, but I played this cassette till the tape was worn out. Um, beginning to end, I love every song, Samuel Situation, Kickstart My Heart, Doctor Feel Good, um, Without You. Um, give me, give, give me, give me, give me. Like we, we can just do this whole album if you want. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Uh, some big ones on here. Uh, Without you, my friends got married to that song. That was her wedding song for crying out loud. Uh, but the one we're talking about tonight, uh, "Kickstart My Heart," was a big single off of uh, Doctor Feelgood. It was the second single released November twentieth, nineteen eighty nine, uh, produced by Bob Rock, recorded in Little Mountain Studios in Vancouver, Canada. As all the big albums in the late eighties, early nineties were. Let's get into it. This is "Kickstart My Heart" by Motley Crue. <laughs> That's one of the most iconic openings in rock history. Um, you, you, the minute you hear that, like you know what's coming, and you just can't stop it. It's like it's like somebody pushed a boulder just to the edge of a cliff, and it's like you can see it's about to fall, and you can see like the, the little rocks underneath it start to fall, and then it just starts rolling, and then the song just kicks you in the fucking teeth the rest of the way. And you know what, uh, Mick. Mars, uh, unsung hero of Motley Crue, uh, one one of the best guitar players of the era, uh, the of the glam metal era. the The contributions of Mick Mars cannot be ignored when it comes to Motley Crue, and now he's uh, out of the band and fighting with the band uh, about all sorts of things. Uh, he's making accusations; they're making accusations. There's a whole big fight going on as the band continues on with John Five as their uh, guitar player, but it's just not the same. Like Mick Mars brought so much to this group. It's so weird because I feel like every time they've had disputes, and it's not the first dispute they've had with Mick Mars, but I feel like he's the reliable source most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, just knowing what I know, it's like it's it's like you can look at all the controversies or whatever. It's like it's like Vince Vince Neil has told different stories nine different ways. Tommy Lee has done the same thing. I've I've, I've listened to Tommy Lee countless times on the Howard Stern show, tell the same story with, with like six different details thrown in each time and things just don't match up and times and dates don't match up or whatever. And it's like, all right, well, I feel like Mick Mars probably is a more reliable source. And he was clean. Like, well, the band technically were, were clean at this point. They didn't stay clean very long. I think once they got on tour, they all fell off the way, and except for Mick again. But uh, Mick used to be a drinker, and one day just said, fuck it, and, and just quit drinking. Like, he was able to kick his demons uh, pretty damn easily. Well, Mick, 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 Mick had all those back problems, too, which I think contributed yeah. to him kicking a lot of stuff. Is like he, he was 
a lot more health conscious and trying to ma- like manage this, you know, crippling back pain. Yeah. But uh, by far the best musician in Motley Crue, is that fair to say? Oh, I, I, I would not dispute that. Um, but, but it's funny because, because the other three, the, like Nick, Nikki six, um, Vince Neil and Tommy Lee get all the press. I know. Uh, Tommy Lee does all the big drum theatrics. Uh, but you know, I don't know. As a drummer, I don't think he's that impressive. Uh, Nikki Six, uh, allegedly, well, apparently he's playing the tracks all the way through their stadium shows right now. But uh, Bob Rock even said, I'm not even sure he played uh, bass on any of the albums because he's so bad. He didn't say because he's so bad. He had to watch himself because he's currently producing Motley Crue as well. Uh, so there's some question about uh, about Nikki Six out there. And Vince Neil right now, well, he hasn't been able to sing in, in quite some time. He's got uh, John Bon Jovi syndrome right now. Well, it's what it's another thing. I, a lot of these guys weren't classically trained singers, so they overstrained their vocal cords and did a lot of damage when they were doing all those tour dates, and that catches up with you. So you know, it's easy. Like I see a lot of internet making fun of Bon Jovi or like Vince Neil. It's like they weren't classically trained singers. They didn't learn how to sing from their chest. They were always singing from their throat, and they tore apart their their vocal cords. Not much you can do about that. No, that is very true. But the other thing that might have hurt Vince Neil was uh, eating multiple hoagies uh, for every meal for the last 30 years. I feel like we, we, we are not in a position to, to, to you know, yell, yell at a guy for doing that. In fact, oh, I, I, I'm not. I'm just, I wish I could eat hoagies uh, for every meal. And I'm certainly no, no singer. All I'm saying is, as a bigger guy, it's tough to do no. anything. What, what, what I'm saying, Corey, is... If you were eating multiple hoagies for all the years that that Vince Neil was eating multiple hoagies, we wouldn't have your sultry voice, you know, rattling us in and out of the show every week. <laughs> I, I I kind of feel for Vince Neil because uh, I'm probably twice as big as him, and I I can barely get out of a chair without hurting myself. He's still on tour. He's still you know living the rock and roll dream. So I say good on him. Yeah, he doesn't sound like he did in '89, but really, who does? What, what 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 makes me wonder though is if he had fried chicken instead of the hoagies, you think he'd look like post dodgeball White Goodman? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, nice callback. So I could have picked a lot of songs from this soundtrack, but uh, j- j- just that first line, when I get high, I get high on speed, to me it just kind of helped uh, encapsulate uh, the glory and wonder that is uh, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Yeah, no, and I want to talk a little bit about the singing too. Um, here we have Vince Neil, and I, I think that Vince Neil is one of the more prolific like hard rock metal singers out there. But there is a lot of production going on here in his voice. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So so I would argue that he may very well sound the way he sounded when he recorded this. They're just not producing him the way they used to. 
And uh, for, for all the people who like to make fun of uh, Vince Neil and uh, Kevin Brown, I'm looking in your direction. I'm sure you're listening. Uh, you, you can find the memes online uh, of Vince Neil currently how he sounds uh, singing this song in, in changing words to like a Chubba Bee and my honk. And, and you know, it, it, it's just kind of kind of depressing if you're a Motley Crue fan. Have you ever seen Motley Crue live, John? I have not. They're, they're, they're on my short list. I've seen them twice. I saw them on the, if you remember their uh, Carnival of Sins reunion tour uh, from the early 2000s, uh, their very last show on that tour was, for some reason, Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, so me and the wife sat on the floor, 13th row. Uh, Tommy had uh, tendonitis or something and couldn't play the whole show. Uh, but but they did play, you know, 18 songs or so, and uh, his drum tech played a few songs for him. And then I saw him in Estevan, Saskatchewan, and that one's kind of famous because... Uh, during, I think it was Primal Scream, a fan, I, I, not a fan, an asshole from the crowd jumped up on stage to get to Vince Neil uh, to hug him. I don't, still don't know what was happening, but he ran right into Mick Mars. And we mentioned Mick Mars and his health issues. Uh, this was Mick Mars's birthday too, by the way. Uh, knocked him over uh, to get to Vince Neil and security was just way lax. And uh, they finally got the guy down, and I just—I I was second row for that show, on the floor, and and Nikki's just feeding this guy fucking kicks to the head, like what the fuck are you doing, and deservedly so. Like I remember walking out of the arena, and I saw Nikki in the hallway talking to the cops, and it's like that's just, that's just terrible. It was all over TMZ the next day, and kind of made the town of Estevan famous for a little bit uh, for all the wrong reasons. But uh, so, uh, folks, if you're at a concert, don't jump on stage. They, they don't give a, they don't care about you uh, jumping on stage. Don't do it. Uh, Vince Neil didn't want to hug this guy. They quit throwing shit on stage too. And and that's my uh, PSA for the night. Yeah. Also leave Mick Mars alone. Yeah. Like I know Mick was kind of collateral damage. He was just sitting there doing his solo and he got knocked over. And then, you know, afterwards he got up, they helped him up. He said he was fine. He can keep going. They only did like two more songs. Uh, they were supposed to do like four or five and they called it a night. And that's, that was totally understandable, but um, poor Mick, poor Mick in a lot of ways. Cause now he's not even in Motley Crue. Uh, you know, they're re recording now. Uh, he, he, he said, I just don't want to tour anymore. I'll still do residencies. I'll still record with you guys. And they were like, uh, nope. The band right now, all we're going to do is tour. If you can't tour, uh, you get nothing. He's like, but I'm still 25% owner of Motley Crue. They're like, nope, we're at Motley Crue right now is a touring entity only. If you can't do it, you don't get paid. And then so he said, fuck you and sued him. And now they're re recording new music and doing all that sort of shit. So uh, things are getting pretty ugly between uh, Motley Crue and Mick Mars, unfortunately. John, uh, whose side do you kind of side with here? Mick. Yeah. Me too. I yeah, I'll keep it short and sweet. It's I will take the guy who, for the last 40 years or so, has been the most reliable source of the band. Hey, John, now one of the things that really impressed me about Talladega Nights was how well-directed it was. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about Adam McKay, 
who's now an Academy Award nominated director. He's Academy Award winner for his screenplay for The Big Short. But like all the racing scenes were done so very well. And you know, like he had big crashes, um, you know, orchestrated very, very nicely for a guy who kind of came through SNL with Will Ferrell as kind of his co-writer uh, who kind of, you know, went into feature film directing. Uh, I'm not even sure which uh, film this is on his uh, filmography, but I thought he knocked it out of the park. Like this is a well-directed film. It's a very tight film. It c- c- comedically, it works. And the you know you would argue action. I'm gonna call them action sequences because the racing I would count those action sequences work. There's some um, dramatic points, especially with uh, the way Will Ferrell reacts to Gary Cole. Um, that I think those notes hit as well. I think this really shows to speaks to the versatility of Adam McKay. Would you believe this was his second movie? Uh, I would because it was very early on, right? Yep. He was on, like I said, he wrote for SNL and did some digital shorts. Uh, then they did uh, Anchorman, Legend of Ron Burgundy. Have we covered that one yet? I don't think we have. Oh, afternoon Delight or something. A lot of good. He, even uh, uh, Ron Burgundy playing his uh, Yaz flute. We meet, we could maybe do that song uh, on, on this show. Uh, but he went from uh, uh, Anchorman in, in 2004 to 2006 to Talladega Nights. Yeah, no, I, gu- I guarantee that will be in our future. Uh, they did do one more movie together in 2013, before the big short, which was Anchorman 2, uh, The Legend Continues, a rare sequel. Everyone is clamoring for, you know, Ricky Bobby sequels and uh, stepbrother sequels that have never transpired. Uh, they actually broke down and did an Anchorman sequel. Um, I thought Anchorman 2 was all right, uh, less successful than the first one, but as a comedy sequel, I thought it was decent. Those are really hard to pull off. They are. And I, I, I have our song for Anchorman. Okay. I think we're going to cover some Kansas. Which is that Carry On My Wayward Son? Car- carry On My Wayward Son. There you go. Stay tuned for that one, folks. Let's get back to Motley Crue, though. You know, John, I got to mention our new sponsor, Fig Newtons. Um, They put this giant sticker, Fig Newton sticker on my monitor. It's really inconvenient and I can't see, but I do love Fig Newtons. Wait, where do you have a Fig Newton sticker? I didn't get that. You You didn't get that? No. No, I got it because it was in the movie. Remember when Ricky Bobby sold his windshield uh, for sponsorship? And he put a giant Fig Newtons put a giant Fig Newton sticker on his windshield. He goes, this is really dangerous and horribly inconvenient, but I do love Fig Newtons. You, you, you know, we're doing this, and you've watched this, like, within the last couple of nights. And I've watched this maybe within the, the last year. And your memory on this is going to be a lot sharper than mine. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite line, though, John, that maybe uh, sticks out to you? I mean... I know, I know people love the shake and bake. Um, I'm not really sure. Let, let, let me get back to you on that one. All right. I'm going to throw out a few of mine. Um, Cal Naughton, 
I already mentioned the Jesus in a Tuxedo t-shirt. Ricky Bobby said at one point, uh, well, let me just quote the late great Colonel Sanders who said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Yeah. Motley Crue still kicking ass. I know uh, right around the time uh, b- before the dirt, they went on their farewell tour. Uh, they said, we swear we're never, ever going to tour again. This is it. We're even signing legal documents saying we are never going to tour again. We're not one of those lame ass bands like Kiss who keep saying they're going to retire and do, re- you know, uh, f- retirement tours. And then they come back. We're never doing that. We signed these documents. And then lo and behold, what, two fucking years later, they came back and now they're touring and they're lip syncing and miming their way through a stadium tour with Def Leppard. And it's just, God, it's just kind of fucking pathetic, isn't it? Well, I would argue that we've gotten their, their, their role tour and whatever they are now, isn't that. All right. Yeah. And you, you could argue the retirement tour maybe wasn't so much that either. That was still, I, I saw them on the tour before the retirement tour and uh, phoning it in uh, really uh, is a good way to, to describe it. It's sad. It's a, it's a, you know, you live long enough to be the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Good point. Um, uh, we, we, we've talked about playing the tracks uh, on this show before on other shows, and to me, it's always like if if you don't want to travel with a horn section, you got a horn section on your song, and you want to play that track. That's cool because you're not miming to it. But here we have Nikki Six up there miming playing the bass. Apparently, Tommy Lee is miming playing some drum parts too, which I don't even know how that happens. How he's standing up with his sticks in his hands and the drums are playing over the PA. Vince Neil obviously is you know moving the mic away from his mouth and giving it to the crowd when he's still singing on the track. Um, it, it, it's just kind of sad. I, I, I'm not a fan of, of, of Millie vanillying my way through a show, even if it's a big outdoor stadium show. No, but you know what I am a big fan of? I just figured out my favorite line in this movie. Okay. And, and it's a Jean Gerard quote. I have seen the Highlander movie and it was shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because right before the the final race, Ricky Bobby seeks him out and says, uh, "This is just like Highlander. It, yeah. Oh, is it good? Is it good? It, it won the Academy Award for best movie of all time." Yeah. <laughs> I have seen the Highlander movie, and it was shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I liked it when John Gerard got him in a in an arm bar. He's like, "I will not let you go until you say I love crepes." Yeah, <laughs> I will not say that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it, Ricky. Don't say it. <laughs> He's so adamant about it. It's so good. <laughs> and this would, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how John C. Riley got the, the part of Cal Naughton Jr. 
but the chemistry with him and Will Ferrell was just so through the roof that they went two years later and made Step Brothers, which is uh, another a comedic classic. But the whole Cal Naughton, Ricky Bobby uh, relationship, you talked about it uh, at the top there, John, uh, re- really is kind of the heart. It's not his relationship with his wife or even with Amy Adams or even his dad. It's his relationship with Cal that, that, yeah, that uh, drives this film. No, no, they really are the heart of this movie. They're the heart of this movie, right? So, so, so it's like it's the same structure as like a super bad, where it's Michael Sarah and jo- Jonah Hill are really the main relationship that drives the movie, and it's it's their love story in a lot of ways, and and what what really brings it home is the existence of McLovin, right? And here McLovin is filled by by, by Sasha Baron Cohen playing John Gerard, and you get lines like, "Like a frightened baby chipmunk, you are scared by anything that is different." Well, John, uh, God, there, there's something I want to get off my chest. It's about that summer when you went away to community college. I got an offer to do Playgirl magazine, and I did it. I did a full spread for Playgirl magazine. I mean, spread, man. I pulled my butt, butt apart and stuff. I was totally nude. It was weird. I, I mean, you probably didn't hear about it because I went under the name Mike Honcho. But I just wanted you to know that if you can hear me, if I got into your brain somehow, that I spread my butt cheeks as Mike Honcho. I mean, Corey, have you talked to your therapist about this? I just did. I, I, I told you, so. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I, I will be billing you. Hey, John, what what if you just said, I love really thin pancakes? Is that a fair compromise? No, I, I wouldn't admit to that. I like pancakes. I like thick, fluffy, you know, pancakes coated in bacon and, and butter and maple syrup. It's American. Okay, because that, that was a pretty good out. You don't have to say I love crepes. just have to say you love really thin pancakes. Uh, I won't say that either. Nope. No, neither would Ricky Bobby. He said, uh, you don't understand. You don't understand because you don't understand liberty. You don't understand freedom. So you put a crack in my arm like the crack in the Liberty Bell. <laughs> that was the hill he was dying on. It's so it's so infinitely quotable, this movie. Um, I've reenacted the whole shake and bake thing with several people over time. We, de- <laughs> we, we actually reenacted it at the top of the show. Um, God, Corey, I am fine be- be- being the cow to your Ricky Bobby. <laughs> the magic man to my El Diablo, which is their their new nicknames after Shake and Bake. Uh, got another Cal uh, quote just popped into my head. But he's going through his whole, uh, uh, how he likes to think of Jesus. Like Ricky likes to think of little baby Jesus. Cal goes, I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Littered Skinnerd with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row and I'm hammer drunk. <laughs> <laughs> John C. freaking Riley. Like who who would have thought? You know, watching him in dramatic movies as a character actor <laughs> as a kid, he'd be one of the most br- brilliant, yeah, uh, you know, um, dramatic actors, uh, comedic actors of our time. I know, right? G- gives a heartbreaking performance in The Perfect Storm, 
and then just six years later is talking about being Mike Concho and, and everything. And, uh, and, and then he, he arrests the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right. And that uh, is uh, uh, Dewey Cox in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which is a movie we absolutely have to do very, very soon. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of movies you have to do very, very soon. So some of them will be sooner <laughs> rather than later. All right, with all due respect to Richie Sambora, that's my favorite talk box in a rock and roll song, Mick Mars and what he's doing on Kickstart My Heart. Oh, I don't, like, I, I don't think you need to apologize. This is, you, you know, head and shoulders more entertaining, and that's nothing against Richie Sambora. It's just, it's, it's a different song. Yep. Uh, but uh, iconic, uh, all the same, and he does a great job at the talk box as well, on a few different tracks. It's My Life, of course, Living on a Prayer, but... Uh, I love what Mick's doing with it on this fucking song. Like, Mick's the real star uh, to kickstart my heart for me. Like you mentioned, Vince a little overproduced. Uh, you can tell they did some some tanker in there. Uh, you know, Tommy's playing fine, I guess. Uh, if that's Tommy on the bass, uh, sure, he's not doing anything too spectacular, but uh, Mick makes this track. Oh, 100%. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, st- starting with the intro and right right through to the tail end, without without Mick, this song doesn't exist. Kickstart my heart from 1989's Dr. Feelgood. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, as it stands right now, Jean Girard is sitting on the pole, which is a statement of fact and is in no way a comment on the driver's sexual orientation. I mean, you, I, I, you can't I, make I, jokes I, like that in movies anymore. That one just left me speechless, Corey. I mean, coming, coming, <laughs> coming out of your mouth and it came out of your mouth hard. <laughs> Well done, sir. Is there anything else about uh, Talladega Nights or Motley Crue we should cover here before we call it a night? No, it's just a wonder we talked about this movie finally. You know, you know I am so, I, I love this movie so much. And when you brought up that, you know, you had just watched it, I was shocked we hadn't covered it already. I know, as I was uh, getting ready to watch it, I'm like, I don't think we've covered this on theme music yet. We're, what, 60, 70 shows in, and we haven't done Talladega Nights? It's criminal. Yeah, and I jumped right on it. Like everybody knows at this point, because I've made several mistakes over the course of the episode, I went in cold, but that doesn't change the fact that I adore this movie. And, you know, it's, I'm probably a few weeks away from re-watching this movie because that's usually how it goes. It's okay, John, because everyone knows you wake up in the morning and you piss excellence. I do. Yep. I do. I can't, you know I can't help myself. I like to picture Jesus as a figure skater. He wears like a white outfit and he does interpretive ice dances of my life's journey. 
So, 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 so this is what we're doing on the way out. You're just going to keep reading quotes to everybody because Hakuna Matata, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> well done. All right, uh, John, uh, if the folks are, are looking for a movie in the same vein of Talladega Nights, uh, what's a movie that you might recommend for them? Well, you mentioned uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, which I think is appropriate, but I'm going to go a different way. And I'm going to recommend a, an actual autobiographical movie. And recommend Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Very I think uh, it, it's not it's not a sports movie like this one, but I think a lot of the silliness and a lot of the dramatic strokes hit the same notes as this one. There you have it, Weird, the Weird, the Al Yankovic story, nominated for a, a boatload of Emmys. Uh, coming up whenever they hold the Emmys. Uh, it, it's bound to win a few of those. It was also just uh, announced uh, by Shout Factory. It's going to be released on uh, 4K Blu-ray. Uh, I'm already pre-ordering my copy. I loved uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. I'm going to recommend, uh, geez, another racing movie we talked about at the beginning. How about Days of Thunder? Also with a brand new 4K transfer um, featuring a, a young Nicole Kidman, uh, a great Robert Duvall, and of course, uh, Tom Cruise as uh, legendary race car driver Cole Trickle. A great racing movie directed by Tony Scott, the late great Tony Scott, uh, who's done such classic films as Top Gun and Crimson Tide. Uh, you can't go wrong with Days of Thunder. So go check out those films if you're so inclined. But until next time, on behalf of John Mariano, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time on Backtracks Theme Music. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the South call you, hey Zeus. We thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, we... um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> your tiny Jesus and your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band and I'm in the front row and I'm hammered drunk. Hey Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, 
just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. That was a hell of a grace, man. You nailed that like a split hog. I appreciate that. I'm not gonna lie to you. It felt good. Dad, you made that grace your bitch.